Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Eric Cohn, sitting in for Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Republican attorney John Giocaris, independent progressive Derek Addis, and in hour number two, Ohio businessman David Johnson. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base, AM560, The Answer, WIND Radio, in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Our phone lines are now open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289 to be a part of the program with us this evening. So, of course, the big topic for tonight is what is going to happen on Tuesday with midterm elections taking place Tuesday all across America. And I really want to start with you, Derek, because I want to ask the question. We've gone through these cycles and waves of analysis of what is going to happen in this election where the history dictates that it is likely the party out of power in the White House picks up, uh, I think the average is somewhere around uh, 30-some seats in an off-year election. Uh, so the fundamentals, that and the fact that the president, Joe Biden, is not terribly popular, all indicated early on this red wave. And the debate was, how big of a red wave are we going to have? Is it a tsunami? Is it kind of you threw a rock into the pond and it's rippling back at you? How big of a wave is this going to be? And then of midsummer, into late summer, we get this recalculation because it looks like Democrats are doing better than they were expected to be doing. And obviously we got the uh, huge uh, question mark thrown into this by the Supreme Court with the decision in Dobbs overturning Roe v. Wade. And it looks like Democrats are maybe going to hold their own better than they were expected. And as I'm looking at the polls at, at Real Clear Politics right now at 538, it really looks like it is returning to being a question of it's a red wave and how big is it going to be? Um, do you think that that was inevitable, that it was going to return to being that story? Or do you think the Democrats had an opportunity and they blew it? Yeah, I mean, like you said, history shows that um, I think the attention span of the electorate is so short and the desire for the things that they want is immediate that it never happens that fast in any political sphere so it always just flip-flops right you know uh and midterms are always the lowest turnout right and so people don't really have their eye on the ball um so in terms of the red wave it's just a matter of what you kind of alluded to which is what is the degree of you know the the size of it um there's inevitably going to be some turnover of some seats on both sides of congress um, it's just a matter of, like like you said, like how big and what it is. And with the Roe v. Wade thing, there was this kind of um, moment of like a pump for the blue team. Um, but, you know, they the blue team just doesn't know how to win anything. So they always just let everything slip through their fingers. And in terms of getting the hype machine going for the get out the vote initiative, it's just they're really, really bad at that. So. Um, yeah, I'm just waiting to see like everybody else. Uh, and then we get to do Monday morning quarterbacking of all the polls that were done the whole time, right? Derek, I just I can't help but point out something that I just find incredibly fascinating in our modern politics, that I think both sides have this belief 
that the other side always wins and they always lose, which, of course, cannot be accurate, right? It cannot be true that the other side always wins and that their side always loses. Um, I always found this to be amusing with the analysis Republicans would go through where they were out of power at a federal level, despite the fact that they hold held the vast majority of uh, governor's mansions, the vast majority of state legislators, legislatures. There's always this feeling from whoever it is. I, I think this says something about the pathology of our politics that everybody always feels like they're they're losing or about to lose except when they get into power when mm -hmm. they think they're never going to lose again and then two years or four years later mm -hmm. they're dealt a terrible blow john i i, I want to go to you uh do you think same question essentially do you, do you think this was just a return to the fundamentals of what this election was always going to be or did the democrats really have an opportunity in late summer and they just blew it I err more on the side of uh, it's just the fundamentals coming into play. Um, while there's always, uh, you know, events happening, uh, obviously the, uh, the the Dobbs case was a, a big curveball this year um, and, and an exceptional one, too. Uh, at the, you know, at, at the same time, the vast majority of voters, it feels like, just really don't start paying attention until September, October. And um, uh, fundamentally, you know, it's, I mean, 30 years later, you have to say it's still the economy, stupid. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of frustration out there over inflation. There's a lot of frustration out there over uh, cost of living, um, rising crime, uh, gas prices, all, all, all that stuff uh, comes into play. And, you know, I, I think the Democrats were, I think, I think part of the reason why they also might have peaked a little early is because over the summer they really went on a spending splurge and they really wanted to capitalize uh, on the uh, aftermath of the Dobbs decision. Uh, and they and they try to get out in front of that. And um, it was, you know, at least according to the polls, it was uh, uh, gaining some traction. But as as we inevitably inch further towards uh, the, the, the election day, you know, again, the fundamentals just come into play. And there's a lot of hurt and frustration economically. And it, it, it might have been that that uh, uh, Dobbs wave uh, uh, came and went and peaked a little too early. Derek, I, I feel since we've mentioned it. A couple of times already have we learned again we have we don't know what the results are going to be on tuesday so we are forecasting a little bit there but it looks like it will be a better night for republicans than it will be for democrats did we learn that uh despite the shock that was the overturning of roe v wade and the dobbs decision that voters are just well one of two things either voters are just overwhelmingly uh, overall not that motivated by the issue of abortion or it's so far down their list of important issues that it is not overwhelming the fundamentals or is it a problem that the people that are heavily motivated by it have already self-sorted themselves to live in like new york city or los angeles or chicago and the impact that they are going to have on elections is just minimized by virtue of where they are yeah i mean that's usually the case right i mean the the large cities are blue in, in a lot of instances. And then when you look at rural America, they you know vote in a different fashion. Uh, and in terms of motivation and actually getting people into to either mail-in a ballot uh, or to walk into a polling station, it's like it's like pulling teeth, you know. And unfortunately, you know, everybody has an opinion when you're conversing with them about an issue that they feel strongly about. But unfortunately, the the numbers of votes that we count after the fact don't uh, reflect 
all that passion that someone has when you're talking to them at a bar or in a classroom or wherever, right? And so I've always found that to be one of the most disheartening things about um, the body politic is that they just, I don't know. I, I don't know how to get people as energized as we do when we have the presidential cycle, you know? It's, and I Well, think, Ed, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll certainly be seeing if turnout in this uh, midterm election is much larger than we're expecting it to be or have traditionally expected midterm uh, turnout to be. We want to hear from you. 1-800-723-8289. Share with us your election predictions. Eric Cohn filling in for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. 
Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm gonna take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Beyond the Beltway, 1-800-723-8289 is our phone number to be a part of the program with us. Share your predictions for what is going to happen on Tuesday in the midterm elections. And let's get right to the phone lines. Let's go to Joy in Spokane. Joy, you're on Beyond the Beltway. Joy, are you there? Joy, we can hear you rustling around. Are you there? I'm going to take that for a no. Otherwise, uh, it seems her phone has been consumed by the papers that seem to be eating it. Um, call back, Joy, if uh, you would like to weigh in. Otherwise, uh, anybody else who would like to be a part of the program, again, 1-800-723-8289 to be a part of the program. So let us, uh, I want to get to some of these individual races and uh, what seems to be happening with them. Why don't we get out of the way first, though? Would you both agree that the Republicans are going to take the House of Representatives. It would be, I think that would be the shock of this election if the Democrats somehow found a way to hold on to the House of Representatives. Agreed? Yeah. 100%. So I, I think the one thing that would, should be noted as well, because in the post-mortem for this, uh, you're going to have a conversation about how many seats uh, the Republicans win and how big of a wave that actually is. Uh, I, I think it does deserve to be pointed out that in 2020, the Republicans picked up 14 seats. So those are all seats that they are going into this election looking to hold, not to pick up. So that number could be artificially low. So I really think if we're going to give a true analysis to this, it's the Republicans overperforming in 2020 and then how they do in 2022. But I think that is uh, there's not a whole lot more to say about the House other than that. Um, but I do have good news, and that is it seems the joy from Spokane is back on. And let's give Joy a chance to see what she has to say. Joy, you're on the Beyond the Beltway. No. Are you there, Joy? Hello, Joy. Well, strike two on Joy. Uh, maybe the third time is the uh, charm, Joy. We'll give you a, a third chance if you call back. So let's let us move on then to some of these senate races uh i want to go first to pennsylvania because this is one that uh election analysts that i trust and listen to were saying a couple months ago the only reason we're talking about it as a competitive election was because it was an open seat but at the time fetterman had something like an 11 12 13 point lead on oz fast forward to now you have polls with oz ahead um caveat emptor on all polling we can get into this conversation if you want on how much we believe how much of an error we factor in but nonetheless this is a race that has gotten much much closer and a whole lot of it has to do with the actual health of john fetterman derek do you think the democrats have made a mistake here in not shortly after he won the primary really putting it to him and saying look you know, it, it, we wish you all the, the best with your health in the future, but the risk of having somebody recovering from a stroke 
as the Senate candidate and what that could mean, especially when you see the debate performance that he had. Uh, This is a man who's not doing well. I mean, this is to say nothing negative against him personally. It's just an observable fact. He's not doing well. Was this a huge mistake by Democrats not trying to compel him to drop out and be replaced on the ballot with someone else? Yeah, I mean, when it goes back to what we were talking about, like what motivates people to come out, right? Fetterman is this figure, and I think not even more so now than at any point in history, but the people that are in leadership positions are also like pseudo-celebrities, right? And that's where a lot of, um, well, some of the hype around them comes from in that draw for people to support them, right? And the things that they're purporting to want to uh, enact and, and vote for and stuff like that. So um, I did watch that debate, and... Um, you know, he, uh, kudos to him for doing his best, uh, despite his ailments at the moment. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm on both sides of the fence, right? Uh, probably the right thing to do would have been maybe to even try to postpone that debate and give him a few more days, weeks, or whatever. I know we were short on time for him to try to get to his best to do that public performance, right? Um, but then on the flip side is... Maybe this person needs to not be going through the excruciating grind of uh, running in an ele- running a race, right? And and tap someone else in that place, but then you lose that momentum that was built, right? And then plus, you know, the blue team loves like a good feel-good story and this, all this, right? And the red team does too, but you know what I mean. So I don't know what the motives were. I'm not in those meetings, but man, I'd love to be a fly on that wall. Yeah, John. The is the reason that they didn't feel that they could compel. Fetterman out of this race because John Fetterman is a unique political character. I mean, this guy who wears, you know, uh, Carhartt in a more authentic way than former Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner used to wear Carhartt, uh, wears hoodies, he has tattoos, he has a goatee. Um, you know, he, he has this interesting origin story of, you know, he's this Harvard grad who became the mayor of his small ten- Pennsylvania city. Uh, it, was it just there was too much compelling about him built up for them to be able to exert the political capital that would be necessary to get him to drop off and be replaced on the ballot by somebody who may be doing better at this moment against Dr. Oz than Fetterman is. Well, arguably, uh, they might have thought that uh, they could just, you know, kept him in the basement for the rest of the campaign like they did with uh, Biden in 2020. Um, Why he agreed to that debate, I'm not really sure. Uh, I, I know they delayed it as far as they could uh, late into October, but even then his recovery clearly wasn't 100%, and everyone saw the debate for what it was. Um, and, you know, uh, to be frank, I, I, I'm I feeling a little bullish on Oz, uh, but at the same time it's it's such a shame that uh, the gubernatorial candidate, Doug Mastriano, uh, is uh, polling so poorly um, in many other states uh, where uh, it's it's possible that the Republican gubernatorial candidate uh, might take the Senate candidate over the line with them, like with Brian Kemp in Georgia or um, possibly even Carrie Lake in Arizona, Mastriano is just not even in the neighborhood in terms of the polling. And uh, hopefully that doesn't uh, uh, affect Oz too, too um, detrimentally. Uh, but I, I think that's, that's, that's another reason why Oz has an uphill battle uh, in Pennsylvania. Derek, do you, John brings up something that I have, as a guest on this show, invade against because I find it to just be one of the most cynical political moves um, that has been undertaken in the last, in, in this election cycle. And that is how much money Democrats poured into primary races to nominate somebody who is the exact kind of person Joe Biden 
was giving a speech less than a week ago saying that these people are a threat to democracy. And then he finds himself in the difficult messaging position, right, of basically saying democracy only remains if one party wins, which is admittedly a tough messaging position to be in. But they will have some responsibility in people, you know, if it looks like Carrie Lake is going to win. Doug Mastriano, there was a poll out a couple of days ago that he's only about five points by, behind Shapiro, if you believe that individual poll. That may be a bit of an outlier. Uh, but there are candidates that the Democrats help fund. Do they have a huge hypocrisy problem when it comes to their claims about the survival of democracy and then what pe people and voices they're also helping to boost? Yeah, I mean, outside of just that specific instance, I mean, there's many instances of hypocrisy, you know, uh, the whole thing with Pelosi and, and the, the trades, doing trades uh, before stock, stock market movement, uh, really lopsided movement, and just always having the right trades. There's a whole Twitter, uh, there's a whole group of people on Twitter who, who only trade based upon what Nancy Pelosi's trades are, and they're all up, they're all killing it. So I guess if anybody wants to go make some money in the stock market, just go find that group. Um, I'm not a political, what is it? I'm not a financial advisor though. Please don't, you know, come after me if you lose your house. Um, but no, I mean, it, it just, uh, in all fairness to only direct that at the Democrats would be kind of wrong for me to do because I kind of see both sides for the hypocrites that they are in a lot of instances. But in this specific instance, the question that you asked, yeah, of course, that was, that's, it's foolish to go out there and make s these kind of claims knowing that you're trying to woo voters from from another political affiliation or even an independent of, uh, of affiliation if you would call that an affiliation um, and so to make these one-sided kind of remarks and just basically turn the knob off on other people uh, and you know it's it's not in their best interest to do those things John do you think the uh, the Democrats would have had any easier of a go at it if they had uh, nominated someone like Connor Lamb and because Connor Lamb was so perceived as being more moderate than John Fetterman. Do you think that is a major reason why Fetterman was not replaced on uh, on the ballot because they would be giving up a big progressive victory for just, uh, in their view, a milk toasty, uh, just left of center Democrat? Absolutely. Um, I think uh, you know. I, I think that's a that's an effect you're seeing on both sides of of the primaries. Um, in Pennsylvania's case, I think I, I really do believe if Connor Lamb had won the primary, he'd probably be running away with it, uh, probably as much as. Shapiro is running in the gubernatorial race. Um, on the flip side, you know, uh, some some uh, uh, Republicans uh, wonder if, uh, if Dan McCormick had won the um, Republican primary in, in Pennsylvania, which he only lost by you know less than a thousand votes in the end. Um, if he had won it, you know, might might he be pulling a little more competitively against uh, Fetterman too? I'm not sure. Um, but uh, at, at the same time. I don't want to knock Oz. Um, I, I do think his TV experience uh, has come in handy, uh, particularly uh, w when it came to the debate. He looked very comfortable on camera um, and, you know, basically just kept all the attention on, on Fetterman throughout the debate. So, again, I think that's another reason why it's uh, the, the, the Senate race is essentially neck and neck, unlike the gubernatorial race in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and I just wanted to add on that. I think that, that to stay on that celebrity thing, I mean, it's Oz is a celebrity, right? He's not a political figure. In t well, I guess now in some sense he is, but he's a celebrity at the core, right? He's not even a doctor yeah. anymore, if that makes sense. And so Fetterman itself, again, was a pseudo-celebrity, and 
I don't think they had anybody else that yep. had a, that that power, right? So we're uh, we're we're coming up on a break, but I do go. want to explore this on the other side of the break, uh, the phenomenon that John is hinting at, that there could be some interesting cross or undervoting currents that are going on with some of these races between the gubernatorial races and the Senate races. We'll explore that when we are back after this break on Beyond the Beltway. Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. We're back on Beyond the Beltway. This is the time of our program where we have our guests introduce themselves and tell the audience a little bit about themselves. And I will uh, go ahead and start us off uh, this week. So for those of you that uh, weren't tuned into the program 
last week, uh, Bruce Dumont was uh, with us and uh, announced that he's taking uh, an indefinite hiatus from the program while he is recuperating uh, from some health issues and announced that uh, myself and Jeannie Ives, uh, who have been uh, guest hosting the last several weeks, would uh, continue as the guest host uh, in his stead uh, until that hiatus is over. And uh, we're uh, certainly thinking and praying for Bruce for his uh, recovery from these health problems and for him to be back behind uh, the microphone of this program sooner rather than later. Uh, I am the uh, Director of Marketing and Communications at the Acton Institute uh, for Religion and Liberty, for the study of religion and liberty in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's my day job. Uh, through that, I was also the associate producer of a new documentary feature film called The Hong Konger, Jimmy Lai's Extraordinary Struggle for Freedom which is the story of the uh, political dissident newspaper publisher Jimmy Lai, who is currently imprisoned in Hong Kong by the Chinese Communist Party for his advocacy for freedom and democracy. Uh, John, why do we have you go next? Uh, I'm uh, John Gio Karras. I'm a senior tax counsel at a, at a law firm, Rock, Fusco & Connolly. Um, I've been involved with uh, Republican circles and campaigns for uh, many years now, about 12 years. I was a journalist in a former life before uh, going to law school at 29. And, uh, yeah, um, member of the uh, Federalist Society, and I'm actually going to be going there, going to Washington this week for the uh, National Convention. Derek Addis. Uh, yeah, my name is Derek Addis. Um, I'm a DePaul MBA. I have a learning center with my brother and his wife in San Antonio. I have a restaurant that I just opened in Chicago, and I also have Philomathy Digital Media Marketing um, that I run with my wife. So I'm pretty busy, and I just really enjoy politics. So let's get after it. John, the judiciary, I mean, we've seen the results of uh, the fruit that's been borne by that as recently as the Dobbs decision. What in the upcoming Supreme Court term are you really paying closely att close attention to? Because I imagine no matter how big the cases are that are before the court this term, I mean, I just think the sonic boom that was the overturning of Roe v. Wade is going to kind of hang over that. What's a case or two that people should be paying attention to in this Supreme Court term? Sure. Um, I, th I feel like the uh, the affirmative action uh, case uh, uh, that uh, had oral arguments on Halloween has gotten plenty of attention from uh, media. And just a, a, a quick synopsis on that, um, essentially, um, the, uh, an organization called uh, Students for Fair Admissions uh, are arguing that uh, these these uh, uh, affirmative action quotas uh, disproportionately affect uh, Asian American students. Who, uh, if, if if they were if if it were just a total meritocracy and they were allowed to just um, qualify based on test scores, there would be a heck of a lot more uh, Asian Americans in, in these elite universities and a lot less pretty much everyone else. Uh, a big case I'm actually looking forward to. Uh, that hasn't really gotten a lot of attention. It's called Morby Harper, and this is a case out of North Carolina. Uh, it's 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 essentially a case uh, over the 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 uh, gerrymandering of maps in North Carolina. But the principle at issue is something that uh, I, I think is very important and might have a, a bigger effect than people uh, might realize right now. Uh, essentially, uh, the uh, uh, control over over um, uh, local elections. Uh, Elections in states is exclusively controlled by the uh, state legislature under Article uh, Article Two, Section One, Clause Two of the Constitution, and uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, conservatives, uh, specifically, who think that 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 exclusive authority and power has been usurped uh, by uh, 
non-legislative actors such as uh, the courts, such as uh, governors, uh, secretaries of state, or election boards. And a lot of people uh, are hoping that uh, the court uh, reinforces the uh, the sole exclusive power and authority over uh, electoral law and electoral procedures by the state legislatures in this Morby Harper case. And that's 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 a case I'm going to be paying very close attention to come oral arguments. All right. I'll be paying close attention to that as well now after getting that good <laughs> yeah. synopsis of it from me. Appreciate that. That was nice. Uh, <laughs> let's get back to these uh, state races that we were just talking about and kind of an interesting phenomenon that, John, you were pointing to. Um, so I'll, I'll toss it to you first, then Derek, get your reaction to it. You have multiple races where you have, uh, it, it's looking likely that the Republican candidate for governor and for Senate are both going to win, but that there is going to be this gap between how big the victory for one is and how small the victory for another is. I mean, you see this in Georgia, certainly, where Brian Kemp is running far ahead of where Herschel Walker is. There's no guarantee, uh, really, if we're looking, going by the polling data, that Walker is going to win. That may go to another runoff. God help us all if control of the Senate once again comes down to a runoff in Georgia. Uh, but you also have Arizona, where it was. this one is even more fascinating to me. It looked initially... Like, people thought that Blake Masters may have to drag Carrie Lake across the finish line, and now it looks like Carrie Lake may be dragging Blake Masters across the finish line. Um, even in a, a state where, we'll talk about Ohio in the second hour, where it looks like uh, J.D. Vance is going to win, um, he's going to win probably by, you know, the, the number of points that you would expect in Ohio, somewhere probably between, like, four to seven points, it, it would be my guess. But Mike DeWine, who is just the quintessential example of establishment Republicanism, was up by like 20 points the last time I saw. Now, the candidates that are running against them matter. But nonetheless, you, you are seeing a, an observable phenomenon of more passion behind some candidates rather than others. And what may very well be true, if you just look at the Georgia example, of a lot of Republicans who are going to vote for Brian Kemp and then perhaps just not vote in the Senate race. What do you make of that, John? So uh, a few things. Uh, I, you, you point out a lot of uh, good and interesting points there. Uh, you know, for, for the longest time, the, the logic, at least amongst uh, you know, uh, ideological circles on the right, was that uh, you, you need a, 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 an energetic, uh, you know, a passionate, um, uh, charismatic uh, candidate to to win these races and, and to attract enough voters but but the funny thing is these the, all, all these you know quote unquote establishment boring uh, uh, Republican candidates you, you've identified Brian Kemp in Georgia uh, Mike DeWine in Ohio um, Chris Sununu in New Hampshire they are uh, winning their races you know in some cases by by double digits I mean it's not and and their Senate counterparts are the ones who are struggling and I think that's emblematic of the fact that while there are, there are primary voters who are engaged year-round and they're very energized and they're very uh, active and involved, there is a whole other electorate out there that more or less would just prefer quiet and boring. And if you are if you are the quiet and boring candidate, it feels like, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, I think they just end up gravitating uh, there uh, much more, you know, come, come general election time. I think it's also worth pointing out, as we identified earlier, that uh, any candidate who has TV experience, um, not just Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, but kind of the surprise in Arizona, Carrie Lake, you know, former news anchor, 
a lot of people thought, you know, a lot of people didn't really knew, know who she was. And judging by some of the things she said in the primary, she seemed a little extreme. Uh, but it, it, evidently it turns out that her, her TV experience as an anchor has really benefited her. And I also want to say that uh, her um, uh, 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 Democratic opponent for the uh, Arizona gubernatorial race, uh, I think it's Katie Hobbs is her name. I don't think she yes. did her. I don't think she did herself any favors uh, choosing not to debate Carrie Lake. Um, I mean, it, it, it very it may very well end up costing her. And uh, Carrie Lake winning that that state could kind of be the shocker of the night. Derek, do you see any rhyme or reason here? I mean, it's it's tough to construct a coherent narrative out of it because on on one hand, you can look at uh, the the normals that John just described in Ohio and. Uh, Georgia, you can add Brad Raffensperger, who's going to win easily the Secretary of State race there, um, outperforming the more MAGA candidates. But then you have Arizona as the counterexample, uh, where you have a Blake Masters is is kind of a fascinating character in, in his own right, um, going up against Mark Kelly there, who's probably a stronger general election candidate than uh, a lot of other people are facing. But you have Carrie Lake looking like she's the one who's surging ahead and may drag him across the, the finish line. What do you make of all of this? Yeah, I think it's just kind of the general temperament of the people that live in those areas, right? So Ohio is like pretty chill, right? It's always been kind of like chill and the people there, you know, whether they voted for the last president or not, they're just, those are the kind of people that they are. Like like he said, they they want the, uh, they kind of want something a, a little uh, not too jazzy, I would say, right? I don't know too many jazzy people in Ohio. I'm sure there's there's quite a few though. But um, so whereas Arizona, right? I mean, I remember being young and Arizona being in the news for for Sheriff Joe, right? Like these kind of things. Like Arizona's kind of hot and gets it moving out there, and there's always some kind of story. And so when uh, when when this news anchor started this this uh, this election run, you know, again with the with the the charisma of of being on TV for however long she was as an anchor. And getting out there on these soapboxes and starting to talk to the to the public, you know, momentum starts to build in those kind of areas. Um, so I think a lot of it has to do with how the local, um, the the people that live locally just kind of generally live their lives. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the the Arizona race is certainly a fascinating one. And what I've observed and I think is is fascinating to me is how quickly. The story about Carrie Lake has gone from being that this is this major concern, she's an election denier, that she is too radical to win an election, to seeming, you know, I, I read a, and consume a lot of media from the right, that she's this kind of budding national superstar. Well, and that uh, if she wins this election in Arizona, yeah. that she's going to be some kind of a national force to be reckoned well we already been through this once it was the last president remember when he first started and everyone from the establishment and just everyone was like this guy's never gonna win but yeah, yeah we should uh, we should certainly all be wary of predictions that somebody won't win because we certainly do not necessarily know that that is going to be the case eric Cohn filling in for bruce dumont this week on beyond the beltway Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. 
Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. If you talk and they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how, and we tell them, with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So talk, they hear you. You can do it if you try. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana and vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Um, especially, I'm telling you this. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You're good. Yeah, get on. Yeah. We are back on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, Derek, I wanna, we've been talking about the nature of a lot of these races, but I want to kind of back up from that to the issues that are overarching these. There was a really fascinating piece that was in the American Prospect a couple days ago from Stanley Greenberg, who was Bill Clinton's pollster in 1992. And the piece is entitled, How Democrats Mishandled Crime. The most effective issue for Republicans in this midterm is a result of Democratic elites failing to understand what their diverse base of working class voters wants. Um, so if basically the thrust of Greenberg's piece is that uh, Democrats did not take crime seriously as an issue uh in, in an interesting way they're kind of living through as we often feel we're living through this redux of the 1970s with you know inflation and russia on the march it, it feels like the 1970s again um and one of those was the 
perception of the Democratic Party was one that was soft on crime and soft on criminals. And we've kind of come the cycle since then where this perception, again, seems to be the case that the Democrats are soft on crime um, and unserious addressing problems that are plaguing places like New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Um, do you think that this is this is a fair assessment of the way Democrats have approached this issue. Uh, and what do you think they could have done better to meet voters where they are on this concern about rising crime around the country? Yeah, so uh, again, both sides of the fence kind of vision that I have, right? So one side of the fence is there is a systemic issue with how we jail or how we um, incarcerate people, rather, right? Just the idea that we have a for-profit prison uh, system in some instances is very contrary to the idea that um, people should be given an opportunity for um, change and to better themselves and then work their way out of the out of that system. Um, then on the other side, yeah, there's just a lot of chaos happening in some places around the United States. And if you look at certain numbers and figures, you'll see that like, you know, Chicago's a hot button that people love to talk about. Um, it's really low on the list when you look at the percentage of crime per you know thousand people in in that respect, right? So I think a lot of lot of the way that you talk about this subject needs to be framed in a different way. So in terms of how the Democrats handle that, though, again, when I go back to they're really bad at losing things, win or lose, to you you know, um, you know they could have done things like like. Uh, address the problem of how does the judicial system work and how is crime adjudicated for the people that do get picked up, right? Like, I grew up in the hood in San Antonio, and yeah, there was a lot of shenanigans going on, but there was a lot of cats that I grew up with that got sucked into a system that otherwise they wouldn't be in now, right? Had the system be built differently, right? So, you know, uh, violent offenders and those kind of things aside, I think that's how they could have been able to kind of appease both sides by saying, yeah, let's work on it. We're going to change some things. We're going to really try to jar the system and, and, and make um, a substantial change as opposed to kind of like, uh, I guess if you look at local politics in Chicago, how everybody talks about Kim Fox and the things that they've been doing and those kind of things, right? So um, the name escapes me. What is the thing they just passed, the Safety Act or something to that safety effect? Act, yeah. In right. Illinois. In Illinois. Act, yeah. and, safe, and sorry for people across the nation that don't know. I'm sure you'll hear about it soon uh, on the news or something. But yeah, I think they could have done it a lot differently instead of looking like they were looking the other way in reference to crime. But how much, Derek, do you think that this is a hangover from roughly 2020, 2021, where so many Democrats explicitly or implicitly either embraced or were just incredibly reticent to criticize the defund the police movement that this is kind of the break in terms of voters trust yeah. with democrats yeah. on this issue and it's one that republicans were more than happy to yeah. grab and seize onto and yeah. use for their political advantage irrespective of whether you think that republican yeah. approaches to this are correct or not yeah no I, and you know what i i i really uh, I hate that some things get framed in ways that cannot be unframed, right? So, you know, this idea, the fund of police sounds really easy to roll off the tongue and you can use it as a tagline in, in uh, opposition or for, right? Um, I'll speak personally. If I, I, I don't, when I went to Iraq, we used weapons of war that I don't know that some police forces in, in rural places actually need, right? And so I think some of the origins of defund the police were partly those kind of things, not entirely though, right? So on one side, I can understand the idea that there doesn't need to be a mine resistant vehicle 
uh, rolling around Toledo, Ohio. There's no fucking mines. Oh, I'm so sorry. There's no mines. Sorry. Um, uh, but on the other hand, yeah, there should have been some pushback to just uh, generally embracing that and just taking it because it was part of a movement that they sought to exploit for their political gain. Yeah, uh, John, I think one of the problems, uh, too, with the defund the police thing is the you know, what Derek pointed out that every time that someone would try to make this argument that it's like, you know, what we really mean by it is we want to reallocate resources over to this thing or to that thing. Or, you know, we don't believe in the rise of the warrior cop to reference Radley Balco's uh, really interesting book from a few years ago. Um, there would inevitably be an op-ed in the New York Times where somebody said, no, we actually mean defund the police. I mean, there is just a both sides again getting carried away with their own messaging absolutely uh and uh, i mean look i you know i'm, I'm willing to uh, concede that i'm sure that it was you know more of an of an extreme fringe uh sort of you know belief in genuinely defunding the police and you know that uh, the, the the loudest voices always get the most attention and it you know really drowned out i'm, I'm sure it drowned out a lot of the um uh more reasonable uh you know uh, nuanced uh, uh, stances on that uh, unfortunately, though, you know, I, I what what happened, I mean, you know, again, this all started in 2020 with the BLM riots and and then, you know, defund the police. And I, I, I do think there yeah. are I do think there were a lot of Democratic politicians who were trying to walk a fine yeah, line. We're, we're coming back. We're coming up on a hard break. Well, I want to get more into this in the second hour, as well as the other races around the country that we have really not paid enough attention to yet and then of course what it's going to mean for 2024 uh, because almost immediately we're going to start having a conversation about what is going to go on in the presidential race more on that when we're back on beyond the beltway eric Cohn sitting in this week for bruce dumont Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. 
Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. We are back on hour two of Beyond the Beltway. You know, I was I was always told when there's bad news just to get it out of the way up front so the two pieces of bad news we're going to lead off with on hour two of the program uh the first is that we are having uh, an issue with our phone lines that they seem to be out of service this evening we're very sorry about that so for those of you that had election predictions or thoughts on these races uh, that really wanted to get them on this program we apologize for the phone lines being out I don't know, open your window and yell as loud as you can, and maybe I'll just pick it up by osmosis. It'll strike me, and that'll be the question that I asked Don, John and Derek in this hour of the program. Uh, bad piece of news number two, David Johnson was supposed to join us in this hour. Unfortunately, had something come up, and he is uh, unavailable to join us. That does not mean that we cannot talk about Ohio, which is what David was going to talk about. We've already talked about it a little bit, and I'm sure we will get around to more analysis of ohio but where i want to start now is to try to figure out uh, a way to representatively know if this really is not just a red wave but a red tsunami what race john are you looking at that if the republicans win it it's going to be a shocker enough to indicate that this is an overwhelmingly good night for Republicans. Uh, short answer, Don Bullduck in New Hampshire. Um, I think, uh, you know, early on election night when the polls are closing and they're starting to count the votes, uh, New Hampshire should be one of the first up. And I'm really curious to see if, uh, you know, I mean, I, again, originally people thought Bullduck had no chance. He's kind of a, you know, weird kind of crazy guy. Uh, but the polls have really leveled off. Uh, uh, Robert Cahaley of Trafalgar uh, said that uh, he thinks the shocker of the night is going to be Bulldog in New Hampshire, and I concur. I think uh, I, I think if, if New Hampshire goes red, I think it's 
I think we're talking red tsunami levels. Derek, is there a well? And we'll play the opposite game of this as well in a moment. Is is there any race that you're looking at across the country that if you think if if the Republicans win this one, wow, has it been a really bad night for Democrats? I mean, if Herschel Walker pulls this off, I think that's kind of would be uh, symbolic of kind of the broader uh, night for the Democrats. I mean, I feel like, you know, despite any personal beliefs about the individual, I mean, I think just generally it would be another celebrity status kind of win for a person who decided to be propped up as an elected official and then swayed the, the voting base to believe what they were saying. Yeah, I, I'm curious, John, what do you think of that? I mean, is that... Um, how big of a shock would it be to you if, if Herschel Walker wins? I mean, this is, as Derek points out, th this is someone drafting primarily on their fame as a football player rather than uh, real, true qualifications for elected office. But, I mean, this is still Georgia. This is, he is running against a sitting senator who is a senator largely by virtue of Donald Trump encouraging Republicans not to vote in the runoff in uh, early 2021. How big of a shocker would that be if Walker pulls it out to you? To be, you know, to be honest, it, it, I at this point, I'm expecting Walker to win. My gut just tells me it's going to happen. And and I know he comes with a lot of baggage. Um, I know he's not a conventional candidate and, and uh, all of that. Um, having said that, Again, this is Georgia. Um, I do think there is a celebrity factor in terms of uh, his appeal with uh, a lot of just uh, you know regular voters out there. Um, you know, do I do I think he's going to make make you know a, a legendary senator or anything? Probably not. Um, at the same time, given you know again given all the fundamentals, given the fact that um, Kemp is is running away with it in his gubernatorial race, it's hard for me not to believe that he's not going to uh, pull Walker over the line with him. So. I'm expecting, and and for what it's worth, uh, the uh, the odds on uh, uh, predicted uh, concur that uh, uh, Georgia's uh, probably uh, Walker probably is going to win that one. So I'm going to throw out three races that I think people should pay attention to that I think are even more of a stretch than any of the races that John or Derek have named, uh, and all three of them are gubernatorial races. Um, there is. The gubernatorial race in Oregon, where it is a three-person race, um, it is essentially the third person in the race, uh, and I don't have the names right in front of me, and that name is escaping me, um, that person is going to draft votes away from the Democrats. So it's a question of whether or not uh, Drazen, who is the Republican nominee, is going to be able to um, uh, have enough votes with the Democrat perhaps losing enough to a third-party candidate to squeak that one out. Uh, the other two are, again, gubernatorial races. New York is going to be a fascinating one. Um, Lee Zeldin is absolutely relentless. And uh, Kathy Hochul, uh, I think Democrats would probably agree, has uh, underperformed their expectations, however high or low those expectations might have been. Um, her debate with uh, Zeldin did not go particularly well for her. And given, again, coming back to the crime issue, that seems like one that has a, a decent percentage chance of uh, being a, being in the shocker category. Uh, the other one I want to highlight is where I am here in Michigan. Um, the last re most recent polls in this race between Gretchen Whitmer and Tudor Dixon, the Republican nominee, have it getting close. And I will tell you from being here in Michigan what this is primarily being run on, at least what the attacks on Tudor Dixon are. One, she's extreme on abortion. Two, 
she's received money from Betsy DeVos, and if she wins, I guess Betsy DeVos is going to rule the state with an iron fist. I'm really curious to see if this is effective, especially considering we all know what the attacks on Gretchen Whitmer are. Let's flip this around. Derek, is there uh, a race that if the Democrat pulled it out, it would be an indicator to you that the Democrats are really overperforming what the expectations currently are for Tuesday? Uh, nothing. I, I don't I don't have an answer for that. I don't know no, more of the lesser known races, to be completely honest. Um, I, it is again, I'll go back to the Fetterman Oz thing. I think that would be kind of a telltale of how the Democrats would do, despite kind of what's going on in that specific race. Having that candidate not really be at their best, um, losing a little bit of ground late, um, and then still being able to pull it off despite that those health conditions, I think, would be you know uh, something to of note. John, in about a minute, um, you've is there a race that if you saw the Democrats pull out on Tuesday, you'd think that it is uh, a sign that they are performing ahead of where we were expecting them to be. Uh, honestly, the baseline for me on that is uh, Arizona. I, th I think Arizona's ground zero right now, um, and it has been close. Uh, in 2018, uh, the, the Senate race, I remember, between uh, Kirsten Sinema and Martha McSally was razor thin. Uh, Sinema ended up edging out. And in 2020, it was a razor thin race, uh, a razor thin margin as well between McSally and uh, Mark Kelly. Uh, so I, I really think Arizona's ground zero. Uh, if Arizona holds blue, I think uh, the the Dems um, uh, the, the the Democrats damages uh, won't be will, will be minimal. I, I still think Republicans are in for at least an average wave year, um, but if, if if Arizona holds, uh, I think I think that'll be a big um, big win for Democrats this year. Arizona has certainly always been a very interesting political state. It is remaining a very interesting political state, uh, especially with uh, the initial assumptions being that Carrie Lake was going to be a drag, and now it looks like Carrie Lake is a boon to the Republicans. Boy, is it a really hard thing to predict, but we will continue to try to make sense of it here on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Hone filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening. 
And they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. One in three adults has pre diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker. Your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21 person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre diabetes awareness partners. We are back on Beyond the Beltway. So, for this question, John and Derek, I want you to assume the Red wave, if not red tsunami, interpretation of what is coming on Tuesday. John, do you think the results, if you have this at least a red wave, do you think it more instantiates and solidifies Trump's influence on the Republican Party? Is it a mixed bag or does it undermine it at all? I think he's going to think that uh, it uh, reinforces uh, his uh, uh, his you know power and um, influence. Um, well, uh, John, to be fair, if the sun rising in the morning in Donald Trump's mind probably is evidence yeah, of his influence over the sun rising. So he, he did that. I agree with you that that is probably what Donald Trump is going to think. In your opinion, though. Do you think that it is going to help cement his grip on the party? Is it a mixed bag? Or um, does it in any way weaken his grip on the party? Um, the short answer is it's probably going to be a mixed bag uh, in, in terms of reality. Um, however, I, I will say that uh, um, a lot of the people that he endorsed in the primaries were, you know, people, I mean, you know, a lot of these were anti establishment non politicians who had never run for anything in their life, had been struggling. Uh, especially in terms of fundraising, uh, something that doesn't get en uh, enough attention is the fact that uh, I, Mark Thiessen uh, in the Washington Post had a great piece the other day pointing out how uh, McConnell's PACs are putting money where Trump's mouth is, uh, essentially pointing out that you know Trump has a PAC where he's been sitting on over $100 million, isn't spending much of any of it in, in these races, and McConnell's had to come in and basically uh, financially back um, uh, Trump's uh, you know uh, uh, primary candidates. Uh, now, Again, if 
if they do manage to win, especially some, as we mentioned earlier, that Democrats had actually funded, thinking that they would be easy opponents to beat, uh, I, I think there is something to be said about uh, tr uh, Trump's influence um, uh, in the party and, and with the general electorate. And we all know that, uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if even a week after the midterms he comes out and he says, so this was all because of me. And I'm going to announce right now. What do you think? Should I announce right now? Let's do it. I'm going to I'm going to run for president in 2024. And uh, we can all look forward to that. I'm sure it'll be a, a great time. Wonderful time. That's awesome. Little did everybody know that <laughs> yeah. uh, former President Donald Trump would be joining the program this <laughs> evening. I didn't even know that myself uh, before it. Derek, um, I, if you yeah. have sufficiently recovered from that shot, uh, <laughs> what do you, um, do, do you think that uh, your new radio partner, former President Donald Trump, uh, is his grip uh, growing over the Republican Party, or is, is it a mixed bag, or is it in any way weakening? What do you see uh, yeah. looking at it as a progressive? Yeah, well, I mean, what did the story that came out yesterday and this morning about uh, some, I mean, even Fox News ran it, some Republicans are turning on Trump because he gave DeSantis a nickname or something. So, you know, to, <laughs> to President Trump in studios. Uh, Ron, Ron DeSanctimonious, okay? <laughs> so, That's what uh, we're going to call him <laughs> So, uh, you know, beware of the, the, the box that you open, right? Like uh, DJT, um, you know, paved the way for these celebrity politicians to come up behind him and kind of use the same tactics to gain power. And when you have many heads on a beast, people get to choose which one that they want to follow, right? And so, you know, I don't know that a lot of what's going to happen here is going to be directly attributed to his efforts or lack thereof. Um, but uh, I, I think I think after he kind of well, after he lost the last election, there was a sense of what some people may call normal normalcy that came back to the Republican Party. And I think a lot of people really liked how that felt because they hadn't felt it in so long. And so I think they're mildly accepting of the, like the, the lake in Arizona and that kind of vibe, those, you know, and Herschel Walker and that. I don't know if they really want him to come back. I know there's a fringe element or large fringe element of the Republican Party that is still very pro-President Trump. Um, but when we look at Ohio and those kind of vibe, right, those, there's still a lot of the people that they want their boring old Republicans back. Yeah, John, the, is there a more important non-competitive race happening on Tuesday? than the Florida governor's race, mm -hmm. because all signs point towards Ron DeSantis winning that one pretty easily, which is going to be a departure for Florida races, uh, as everybody I'm sure will remember, especially those of a certain age who can flash all the way back to 2000. Um, Florida has a reputation for incredibly close elections. Uh, however, it is interesting that it seems to be the Republicans who always eke it out by a point, maybe two points. It looks like Ron DeSantis is going to run away from uh, from this one pretty uh, pretty easily. He does have the advantage of running against Charlie Crist, who, if you have forgotten who Charlie Crist is, he's a former governor of Florida. He has run for office as a Republican, as an independent, as a Democrat. He has lost a lot of those races, and it is not for lack of trying. Uh, it, it is probably going to be Ron DeSantis. Is, is there any other race um, that is not competitive that is more important uh, and that is going to say as much about the future of the Republican Party than if Ron DeSantis has an incredibly easy walk to reelection 
that I would think, and I'm curious for your thoughts, John, really cements this one-two dynamic between Trump and Ron DeSantis for who will be the Republican nominee in 2024 with some other people who have aspirations probably also declaring, but I don't know that it ever really gets beyond those two. I think DeSantis for a long time has been laying down the groundwork for uh, uh, not only a national run, but essentially a national profile. Uh, I think a lot of, uh, you know, his um, the bill, the, the, uh, the fight against Disney and uh, his big tech bill, um, I, th- I think a lot of that was garnered, you know, to to get more national attention than anything else because he's essentially laying the groundwork for a presidential run uh, in 2024. Um, and yeah, I, I should say, uh, you know, f- uh, for what it's worth, because you were talking about, you know, how, how Florida used to be, and, and you know, it, it's true that I, I, th- I think it's a combination of there have been a lot of transplants that ha- that moved to Florida, particularly during the, the pandemic, that just made. Florida much more bright red, um, but I also have to give Florida credit for for another thing that uh, a lot of people may not realize. Florida has their blank together when it comes to counting votes. Um, they they have their early votes, you know, counted pretty much at the get go. As soon as the polls close, they've they've got the numbers and 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 they post their their totals almost. I mean, I I think faster than any other state, and and that's nothing. I mean, you know, Florida's what the the, the fourth largest state now, third largest state. And I, I mean, if they can do it, I don't understand why any other state can't can't get their stuff together when it comes to counting votes. Yeah, Derek, this really is a potential nightmare redux scenario in Pennsylvania, because Pennsylvania is going to do the same thing that Pennsylvania did in 2020, which is it will not start counting mail-in votes until the polls close, which means you're going to have potentially the same scenario that we saw in the presidential race in 2020, where it is those, when they finally get around to counting the mail-in ballots that have been banked for much earlier, it they start getting added in, and it looks like there's this big shift in the race, when that's not exactly the case, it is votes that were sent in that Pennsylvania, because of reasons that I don't understand, just has decided they don't want to count until the last possible minute. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, to uh, pseudo DJT's point over here, um, I don't know why the election boards and election officials in all these states can't figure this out. I mean, I thought as a young lad when they started bringing out uh, digital or electronic voting machines, that it would be a far better process and more substantial security and all that stuff. Um, and now here we are in the midst of what seems to be another potential round of um, denial denial for what may come this following week. So that's a little bit disheartening, but, uh, you know, maybe we just go back to hanging chads. Who knows? <laughs> By the way, can we well, just... That is- no, I was just going to say, uh, can we just acknowledge you know, what, what, what might be the ultimate nightmare scenario in the sense that we don't know the Pennsylvania Senate winner for days because it takes them so long to count the votes again. And if Georgia goes into another runoff, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, the, 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 the balance of the Senate could be hanging in, in those two seats and having to go through all that drama again for, you know, mm-hmm. weeks, if not another month. That's that's I I don't we, know if I can do it. Yeah, yeah it. It, it brings to mind the uh, the quote from Nietzsche that history repeats itself first as tragedy, then as farce. Um, <laughs> nice. This uh, certainly seems like it has the potential for that. But uh, to, to your point, John, I, why, I'm asking you to read into the minds of uh, election officials and political officials in Pennsylvania. But the reason Florida is so good at counting ballots is because after the disaster in 2000, um, credit 
Jeb Bush for saying we're going to get it together. And Florida, you're right, has it together and gets returns out really quickly. You would think Pennsylvania would want to do the same. But nonetheless, we, we find ourselves here in the same position, expecting the same kind of slow results and the chaos that that is going to create. Is there any reason in your mind you can come up with for why Pennsylvania wouldn't want to fix what was so clearly a problem last time around? Uh, elector electorally, in terms of uh, 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 the electoral law and counting votes, Pennsylvania is an absolute mess. And there have been multiple attempts uh, by Pennsylvania Republicans to get in front of the U.S. Supreme Court to, to clarify some of this. Uh, where, what I think the problem is in Pennsylvania is uh, you have a, a Republican state legislature and Democratic state officials, uh, governor, secretary of state, and so on, uh, that are, uh, quite frankly, fighting with each other. Uh, the state legislature says, you know, electoral law is what it is. No more votes uh, after after eight o'clock on election night. And uh, the Democratic uh, uh, governor and, and secretaries of state and election boards and whatnot, and the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, I should add, mm -hmm. uh, say, no, no, you know, uh, if, if, if if votes come in later, you know, we'll give you a three day window to uh, keep collecting them. And and they're just at, frankly at odds with each other. Multiple yep. attempts to get before the Supreme Court. It's going to happen at some point. It's a mess. It's a mess. And we're looking forward to uh, perhaps another very messy election night because of it. We'll have to wait and see. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Whoa. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, 
but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Eric Owen, back filling in for Bruce this week on Beyond the Beltway. I want to dig in a little bit more on the upcoming presidential race. Again, assuming what I think we're all probably assuming at this point about what the results of the midterms on Tuesday will be. Derek, in your opinion, you mentioned earlier you are not a financial advisor, so uh, Mm -hmm. do not take stock trading advice from Derek from earlier in this program. Um, You are also not a uh, bookmaker or uh, giving gambling advice, but I am going to ask you to put a percentage chance... What is the percentage chance that in 2024, the Democrat nominee for president is Joe Biden? Oh, man. You know, I have, uh, Eric, you're going to make me lose sleep, man. I've been like just avoiding this because it's just like I don't want to deal with it. Um, so you're going to make me do this. Uh, my wife's going to be mad at you later because I'm going to be up all night, all upset about my answer and <laughs> rethinking it. Like I should have said this. Uh, I, you know, honestly, I, I'll be completely honest, man. I, I I think this is kind of a Fetterman situation where if they do what's best, it would be zero. And if they're going to do what they think is best, it's going to be 100. So if that makes sense. John, what percentage chance in your mind is there that on Election Day in 2024, the Democratic nominee for president is Joseph Robinette Biden? I'm going to put it at 20 percent. Um, I, I, I really don't, I mean, he's already up there and, uh, you know, his, not, not exactly the sharpest knife in the drawer these days. Um, I just, uh, you know, I, I understand not announcing it sooner because you don't want to be a lame duck president, at least not until, you know, the the new Congress steps in, but I just, it's really hard for me to believe he's going to run for a second term. I ask you to consider this, and I will just throw it out there. The incentives that exist for him to run for re-election are enormous because of how many people owe their jobs to the man who is occupying the White House. And while John's point, and what Derek alludes to as well, about you know he is he's in his 80s, he is showing his age, Uh, That is, I think, beyond dispute at this point. There are so many people who are going to be influencing him that are going to be telling him that, like, if we have to prop you up, just like essentially they're doing with John Fetterman, they will do it. I I find it surprising that nobody is really, other than Derek in his two scenarios case, coming in above 50%. I have to think it's above 50%. 
You know, it's it's worth noting that uh, his uh, his approval rating is is inviting. Uh, it's 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 at a historic level where it invites primary challengers. Uh, you know, at this point in '68, Lyndon Johnson had uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy and I think it was Eugene McCarthy announce. Um, Ford had you know Reagan challenge him for the nomination in '76. Carter had uh, Ted Kennedy challenge him for the nomination in '80. Uh, I really think his approval ratings are flirting with a primary challenge, and it's probably going to come from Gavin Newsom in California, if I had to guess. Well, that actually is a perfect segue into the next question, which, again, I will go to Derek first. Derek, if you and, and John and the low odds you're giving to Biden being the nominee in 2024 are correct, and it is not Joe Biden, if it is not Joe Biden, what is the percentage chance that it is Kamala Harris. Yeah, now I'm really going to lose more sleep. So <laughs> I, uh, I just I, it, I don't think that it's high. Uh, I I don't see how it can be. Like even, like so when Obama and Biden were teamed up, right? Like Biden had way more exposure uh, as the vice president, right? Than I feel Kamala has now. Or yeah, and so. I don't know that again when we're turning to this whole kind of celebrity uh as the the flame to the fire for running for office. I don't know that enough people like her. I don't know that she's done enough at, at that I don't know that she has done enough since she has been vice president to kind of cement this Eric Cohn asking Derek is it at 100%? No, I don't think it's 100%. There there's there's no there's no way in he double hockey sticks that it's uh why well, i can say that right uh there's i i don't believe that that she'll be the nominee um but if she is it would be probably by a slight margin that she would get it john you already kind of tipped your hand on this so i'm going to ask you the question so give me the percentage chance because i already know you're going to give me a pretty low one based on what you just said that kamala harris is the nominee if it's not biden and then Explain more why you think Gavin Newsom in California is, uh, to, in your opinion, the likely inheritor of that mantle. So, yeah, as far as Harris goes, um, it, it's, it's astounding that no vice president in history has pulled as badly as she has, especially when, you know, the vice president doesn't do anything. I mean, you, you know, you, mm -hmm. it, it's kind of hard to screw it up. And she don't tell that to Dick Cheney. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, she's, uh, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, her, it, it's, it's astounding how, how badly she pulls, uh, you know, and, and anyway. So, yeah, I, 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 she's even lower. I, I put Biden at 20%. I'll put her at 10. Now, as far as, uh, yeah, uh, who's, who's going to, uh, who the nominee is going to be in 24, again, much like how DeSantis is already uh, laying down a, na a national profile, I think Newsom's doing the same. Uh, he's, uh, he, he's already saying, he, he's, he's almost already coming up with excuses for why Democrats will do as bad as, as, as they will um, on Tuesday. And he's been saying, you know, we, we haven't, we, we've done bad on messaging and, you know, we haven't been fighting harder and, uh, you know, we got to do this and we got to do that. And uh, I think he thinks, number one, much like, much like, uh, what, you know, how, how DeSantis is very proud of his COVID record. And he's probably one of the few governors who should be. Um, I think Newsom uh, thinks that his COVID record uh, puts him in the national spotlight too, it, which I, I, w I personally, I wouldn't be bragging about. But uh, but I think he thinks that, uh, you know, he's you know, he's 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 going to lead. He's going to fight. He's going to be uh, doing everything that he uh, criticizes this White House for not doing. 
And I already see him laying laying the the foundation for a national profile going into twenty four. Yeah, I think uh, Derek. Uh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Is that, but if your uh, your take on that essentially is Gavin Newsom, if he were to be the nominee in twenty twenty four, is that somebody that you could get some enthusiasm behind or no? Uh, me personally, I would say no. But I was going to say I think Gavin Newsom's uh, COVID record did get him national attention when he was eating at French Laundry, right? Yeah. Indeed, yes. Yeah. For all but, the wrong reasons. Yeah, no, he seems incredibly elitist for me, which is a stretch because most of these politicians are pretty elitist to begin with. Um, he's not a no. He's not for me. Uh, to be honest, I really don't have anybody in mind that I feel would be fit for the position at the moment. I'm sure somebody will present themselves in the future. Um, if I had my way, uh, fourth time's the charm for Mr. B. Sanders. But you know, <laughs> I live in I live in a I live in a dream state sometimes. So. You know, as much as I'm in reality, he's 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 getting up there too. But to his yeah. credit, he's he's still much sharper than uh, Joe Biden. He's sharp as a tech. <laughs> from uh, from a message that we got, uh, I want to throw this one out there and just get your reactions to it. Um, so we sent the message that they're putting the odds at thirty percent because we've been asking about uh, mm -hmm. who could be the potential Democrat nominee if it is not Joe Biden. Uh, this person is giving a thirty percent to one. Hillary Rodham Clinton. Oh my God! Uh, no. Derek, on um, a scale of one to ten, uh, one being none and ten being you will never sleep for the rest of your life, <laughs> how much sleep would you lose over that one? Yeah, I honestly, I might defect to some to some other country that would accept me. <laughs> uh, I, I just that's also not for me. So a uh, ten, ten. You said would I lose? I'd lose sleep forever. I'd be up on yeah, ten. <laughs> Yeah, John, the, the the idea that we would have um, in three consecutive presidential election cycles, uh, Trump v. Clinton, Trump v. Biden, and Trump v. Clinton again. Uh, I, I, is that really, I don't know if that is anything that anybody wants, but given the way that our politics seems to operate, it, you know, it, it may not be what we need, but it seems feels like what we may deserve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, I mean, well, I, I think that also goes to uh, point to um, the the lack of depth that Democrats have on their bench right now. I mean, beyond Biden and, yeah. you know, Kamala, um, you know, I know there's been talk of Pete Buttigieg, but I just don't think he's, he's going to have the national profile for it. And honestly, beyond Newsom, I mean. You know, I you know there was talk that uh, the Illinois governor J.B. Pritzker thinks he's got a shot at it too because he thinks he's run Illinois so so fantastically. Um, but I again, I, be, beyond those names, there just there yeah. there just isn't any. There's well, no bench. Well, they always throw out this. Then the celebrity pick would be Michelle Obama, right? Of course, because that gets tossed around. And if we ever can get Oprah to run one day, you know, <laughs> we, she's gonna win, right? She will. She will. She I mean, win. It, so that's. Good. That's actually a very interesting and important point, right? So the, I've heard numerous people make this about the, you know, if, if Trump breaks down the blood-brain barrier between uh, celebrity entertainment <laughs> and politics. Free for all. Doesn't The Democrats have so much more to fear from that, right? Because all the celebrities are on their side. You know, George Clooney enters the race tomorrow. Tom Hanks enters the race tomorrow. He, he has to be the odds-on on favorite to become the nominee, don't you think? Yes. Well, the, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going say, this could be the future. I mean, yeah, until rappers start running for election and then they want to figure out a way to keep 21 Savage from becoming governor of Maine or something, which could be pretty interesting, I think. I mean, it would, it would at least be an evolution in the entertainment value of our politics, whether or not 
we think politics should exist for our our entertainment. Um, when we when we come back, I want to jump very quickly back into the conversation that we were having about now that we've kind of sussed out where the Democratic presidential field is factoring in what we think the impact of the midterms is going to be. I do want to come back to the Republican side because we have heard this report, and, and Jonathan Swan at Axios is a, a very well-sourced reporter with these notes. His indications are that Trump will announce he's running for president before the end of November. Now, I want to know yeah. what impact you think that is going to have, not just on the race, but really on the next year um, of American politics if Donald Trump does decide to jump in that soon. That when we're back on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Song again. Yay. Here's that song again. For the hundredth time today. Here's that song again. It's gonna be stuck in your head all day. Yay. Here's that song again. It will make you cray cray. You love your kids enough to watch that TV show a bajillion times. Yay. Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. If you talk to me, we'll hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy, so we show them how. And we tell them, with honest conversations, that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. So talk, you can do it if you try. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. 
Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Back on Beyond the Beltway, uh, what we teased uh, just before going to break is the story from Jonathan Swan, uh, reporter for Axios, who says his sources are indicating that Donald Trump is planning to announce his comeback bid for president of the United States before the end of November. I have to think Republicans across the country, from Maine to California, from Washington to Florida, are incredibly grateful that he at least has decided that he's going to wait until after the election is over uh, because it should be pointed out when the where we started the program talking about the kind of boon that the Democrats had in late summer. And I did mention the Dobbs opinion from the court. The other thing that was in the news was Donald Trump, the raid of Mar-a-Lago, um, the back and forth that he is now engaged in over whatever documents that were there for the period of time that Trump was very much back in the public consciousness it at minimum coincided with the period of time where Democrats were doing better in the polls the more that Donald Trump was a subject that was being discussed on that note John what do you think Trump declaring he's running in late November of 2022, just after the midterm, setting up the fact that most of the next two years is going to be a conversation in some way about Donald Trump. What effect do you think that has on a Republican Party? I think we're all assuming is going to be riding pretty high after a good midterm election showing. Well, like you like you basically identify when he's the center of attention, um, it just sucks all the air out of the room. And, uh, you know, when that Mar-a-Lago raid happened, uh, that's when the polls started reversing. And then all the fundamentals started coming back into play in September, October. Um, potentially, if he if he announces early, uh, I, I, I think at least he thinks he's going to clear the field. Um, you know, I think uh, w- without him, it's going to be a much more crowded field. Uh, if he if he's the first one to announce there could be a lot of uh, hesitation and second-guessing from a lot of potential candidates. I know a few who I think are, are going to run nonetheless. Um, people people I personally know who know Mike Pompeo says he's going to run no matter what. Um, I think Pence uh, still is very determined to run no matter what. Um, and frankly, I don't think, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people think that maybe DeSantis and Trump would be cutting into the same vote. I think, I think DeSantis is probably still going to run too, uh, even if Trump announces now. But there, there's no doubt that if he if he announces first, he'll be front and center in terms of the national spotlight again, and it's probably even going to you know take away the attention from the incoming new Republican Congress, which I don't think they'd be particularly thrilled about. Derek, what impact do you think it would have on the thought patterns of you know, you're you're an independent progressive, you're not a Democrat, but on on the left in general, if you get this re-injection of Donald Trump into the political discourse in a way that is not going to ebb and flow as much of it has over the last year, I would say. Something that is probably going to be pretty sustained. He'll be out there doing campaign rallies. He'll be campaigning for office. 
um, it'll be different in its quality. What do you think the impact that is going to have on the left is? Yeah, so uh, in the same way, the presidential election, right? That was like, if I'm not mistaken, the most ballots cast in history, right? Yep. Uh, and the blue team won. So if they're smart, they'll try to keep that same vibe the next time. So basically biting off, uh, you know, riding his coattails, I would say. So um, for all of the faults that some people may perceive from Trump uh, being in, in the political sphere, um, he does energize both sides of the fence in terms of the voting base. So it could be a positive for the blue team if they can actually um, solidify their talking points, actually try to get some action on the things that they say they're going to do when they get elected in the meantime, right? Um, uh, and then kind of use that to basically build up their base. Because um, there is one thing that definitely energizes the blue team, and it's kind of like an enemy. Uh, and it's kind of this, the same for the inverse on the other side, right? There's something to be fighting. Um, and uh, DJT was something that they really sought to fight on a grand scale. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, how concerned, how worried would you be uh, with Trump potentially positioned to become the nominee again? You were right uh, in terms of how many votes were cast in 2020. And it was an enormous margin. Was it 8 million votes that uh, Biden won by? Mm -hmm. But in the Electoral College, where it matters, mm -hmm. it was close. It was narrow. Yeah. And there were a lot of people suggesting that really it was only Biden who was probably the only person who could have threaded the needle that he did. Yeah, he racked up votes in places uh, where he won the state easily, and that contributed to that 8 million margin. But, boy, the Electoral College was close. And against someone else, does Trump pull it out? I don't know. Yeah, so I think you're going to say something along the lines of, like, how would I feel if he won again, or something to that effect. Uh, and as I just feel like, really, honestly, no matter who wins, I'm always kind of uh, disadvantaged in some way. And so I try to see the bright side of whoever's in office at the time. Um, so if you're asking me in the eyes of a, of a Democrat how I would feel if, if Donald Trump became the nominee again and was running, um, I don't know that I would be entirely uh, afraid uh, because I think we kind of went through that range of emotions this last election. And for all the fervor and, and just, you know, um, anxiety, I think that a lot of the blue team had um, it turned out to be for not, right, because they still won. So obviously you still have to work hard and you still have to campaign and you still got to get people out in the streets to win elections. Um, but I think having rode the bike once, I think jumping back on that bike, they'll be able to ride it again. And, and by the John, way, in about 30, in 30 seconds, tell me, is there anyone other than Ron DeSantis who could beat Trump in a primary? Ooh, um, short answer, no. I think, I think it's, it's DeSantis or bust. Um, but but I, I do want to point out, so you, you jogged my memory earlier, when you were talking about the, the 2020 election and how the Electoral College, I, th I think it came down to like 44,000 votes in, uh, in, in th uh, three states. Yeah. There is still, there is still a lot of tick. I mean, you know, ticket splitting, it, it, it's getting smaller and smaller as time goes on, but there's still a lot of it. And uh, in 2020, we will... Yeah, we will have we will certainly have to see what the uh, what the impact of all of that is. I want to thank John G. Karras, Derek Addis for joining us this evening on Beyond the Beltway. For the absent Bruce Dumont, this is Eric Cohn. Good night from Beyond the Beltway.
Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. To protect his home and family from disaster, 